0: This is our sixth lesson on uh, the subject of sexual purity. Uh, we looked at how God created sexuality and made it good, and how sin corrupted that and distorted that, and how we've been contending with that ever since. Last week, we began to look at the redemption of sexuality. What do we, how do we go about seeing that sin problem reversed? And, of course, the heart of that is the gospel, a change of heart in us, a change of desire and empowering by the Holy Spirit, the use of the Word of God, the church, the community, the family, all those things that are there to address the primary problem, which is us. We need to be changed. We need to be transformed. And so we want to continue that study today and shift a little bit to talk about external things that feed that fire that's in us. Given that we and our children are already impure, How does that get reversed or fixed or redeemed? That will be a work that involves changing our hearts, changing our minds, and even changing our bodies. The work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, it will mean purging ourselves of corrupting influences, corrupting things. It will mean putting into our system purifying things, holy things, wholesome things. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So let's begin with repentance. If there are, as we sit here this morning, if there are sexual sins that you've been engaged in, we need to begin with repentance. And, and we'll see if there are other sins as parents. If we've not done our jobs as we need to do them, then we need to begin with repentance, forgiveness, restoration, and in some cases, regeneration. Regeneration. There are all kinds of things going on in the work of the gospel itself that are critical if we are to deal with this issue. But we also have to stop feeding the impurity that's there. We have to stop adding to the corruption through our thoughts and through our senses. The process of sanctification, the process of becoming pure or holy, is in some ways multi layered and complex. Of course, there is the work of the Spirit. But we should remember that one of the ways the Spirit works is by teaching us that this thing is good for us and that other thing is not good for us. These certain things lead to holiness and lead to godliness. These other things lead to sinfulness and to destruction. And so we need to take heed to those things. Uh, As we do, we will see... Uh, either increasing corruption or we will see that that corruption is increasingly removed and we are restored. Think of an old house that's been dilapidated and we go out to look at it. Perhaps it's sat empty for some time. Sam can probably relate to this a little bit right now. Uh, and there's rotten wood here and there, all kinds of things that need to be repaired. Well, the process of restoration usually begins by removing those things that are corrupted and replacing them with things that are good and sound. And oftentimes, as uh, as anybody who's done this kind of restoration work on a house knows, we may look at something and say, oh, that needs some attention, that needs some repair. But as we get into it, we find out it was much worse than we originally thought, that the rotten wood extended into the rafters or Uh, It's going to be a much more extensive repair job than we had first imagined, and that's true oftentimes. We look at our own sins and think of them as surface, as simple, as something easy to deal with. But when we pay careful attention, when we begin to look, we may find that this goes much deeper and is going to require a much more thorough work uh, if we're going to address it. We have to take off the old man and put on the new man in Christ. This is how... This is how all this works. It's really simple at one level, but difficult uh, to accomplish. So what we want to say this morning is we have a problem with who we are and what we are, but it also matters what we do. It's going to take a self-conscious plan that is consistent with what God says. And when we do what He says we get the benefits and the blessings. When we disregard what he says, we can expect to see no progress or even reversals in our moral progress. And so purity is an ongoing work of the Spirit of purifying us and making us like Christ. We cannot leave Christ out of this. This is not something we're going to accomplish apart from him. Now... We do, oftentimes, I think I'm speaking now in our circles as Christians, we do 80% right. But we're losing our kids. Where we're losing our kids is the other 20%. We haven't taught them, in many cases, what else is going on. They can't see it because it wears a disguise. Allow me to quote Pastor Wilson here. Now, the task of Christian parents, when it comes to worldliness, to lapse for a moment into a biblical terminology for this, is to communicate a sense of disenchantment, not just disapproval. Don't take this wrong. Disapproval should be a baseline given, and it should be there and functioning, but that is not where the action is. Our task is demythologizing what the world is doing, not shaking a censorious finger at it. It's like explaining a magic trick. When a child sees an illusionist doing something remarkable, he's amazed. But if someone explains in detail how the trick is accomplished, where all the wires are, it will no longer be possible for him to see the trick. Two things are necessary here. One, the person explaining the trick has to understand it himself, and secondly, he must have the loyalty of the person he is explaining it to. If he is muddled about the trick, his explanation will just be bombast, disapproval masquerading as explanation. But the last thing we need here is ignorance on fire. If a parent or pastor tries to tell the kids a bunch of things about pop culture that are manifestly untrue, Whatever else we say about it, we can affirm that he is not helping. And so I want to this morning to address three practical areas that will help us achieve and maintain sexual purity. Family government, self-government, and church government. Now, I'm not addressing these in any particular order since they overlap and depend upon one another. However, if any one of these areas is neglected then ours and our children's sexual purity is at serious risk. This discussion will be painful for some of us. You might feel some guilt or sorrow or regret, but I will remind you that there is forgiveness and there is redemption in Christ. Nevertheless, I'm going to presume that like the rich man in Hades, you would want others to be warned not to come here. So parents, I want to address you first. Family, government, parental responsibility. Remember, we're asking the question, how do we keep our kids pure sexually? How do we help them? And of course, I want to say, it obviously has to begin with you, yourself, being pure and doing the things you need to do. So if you're not addressing those things for yourself, you're not going to be in a position to help anyone else. Parents, this is... (laughs) This is a lesson you, I mean, it seems so obvious, but I just want to state it because it's so critical, and I think so many parents don't get it. You are responsible for your children. You are in charge. You're the boss. God made you the boss. He put you there to do this job. Some will say, uh, well, let me back up, uh, Parents, again, you are put there, and and you can't make excuses. You're put there to deliver godly children. Ignorance, apathy, and laziness are big killers. Sometimes we say something like, well, I didn't mean for that to happen. But it has to be far more than not meaning to do harm. Rarely do we find that. Someone said, I set out to corrupt my children. No, you didn't mean to do that. We know that. You didn't mean to do that. You have to mean for it not to happen. That's a different standard. You have to have a plan that is actually executed. In Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34, I went by the field of a lazy man and by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw it, I considered it well, I looked on it, and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, so shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. And so a fruitful vineyard uh, will require a plan, and it will require diligence. Planting, cultivation, and guarding are essential. Men, you are responsible for the vineyard we call the household, but you're not the owner's. The household belongs to God. It's not yours to do with as you please. It is yours in order to please God. God has simply made you the manager of his property and given you the responsibility to to make it productive for the owner. You represent God's interest. That is your job, period. Everything else you do, your other job where you earn money, You earn money so you can do your real job. The money is to pay the rent and buy the groceries and provide a house and clothes and education and all those other things, but all of that has to be in service of your primary call. You will give an account to the owner for your stewardship of his property. The first thing that's going to be required is diligence. Diligence is the positive Constant and earnest effort to accomplish what is undertaken. One of the jobs you've been given is to guard the sexual purity of your children. To make sure that it happens. And it begins here. Familiar passage, but one we need to hear often. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You, it starts with you, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So you cannot lead your household if that's not true for you. And these words, the Bible, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And then you shall teach them diligently to your children. You teach the Bible to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on the gates. In other words, the Word of God should permeate your household. I don't mean you're always walking around shaking your finger quoting a Bible verse. But the ideas of the Bible, the words of the Bible, the Word of God ought to be ever-present in your thinking and in your conversations. It ought to just be the dominant feature and culture of your household. A passive approach to the cultivation of our household potentially leads to the very disasters that the parable of the sower speaks of. This case was the result of a lack of understanding and slothfulness in the case of Proverbs. As a result, it was full of thorns and nettles. Moreover, the wall that that was supposed to protect the vineyard from outside influences had been allowed to erode. All it takes for a disaster, including a sexual disaster, to come upon the vineyard is a lack of diligence. You've got to mean for it not to happen. Second, you are responsible for doctrine at your house. That is, positive teaching. Now remember, you are in charge, and this means you have a duty toward God and a responsibility toward your children. You will make the rules, the doctrine. That's the teaching. You will enforce the rules. We'll say more about that in a moment. That's discipline in order to save and sanctify your children in Jesus Christ. And so you must draw the lines on discipline. You will decide, using God's Word as your standard, what is and is not acceptable behavior, and you will communicate the lines clearly to your children. And when those lines are crossed, the consequences must be imposed. You must be committed to carrying out the discipline regardless of whether it's convenient or unpleasant, or whether you feel good or not. Discipline is not about punishment, it is not about vengeance, and it's not about you. Its sole purpose is to bring about good to your children as God defines it. Not as they define it. They're not in charge. They will define it very differently. They want to when they when when they're in a, a state of immaturity and they're not mature in Christ they're not desiring what God wants they're like Adam and Eve in the garden they are, they want to do it their way and they always have an explanation and an excuse and they really don't think you know what you're doing and of course sometimes parents don't know what they're doing and that's why it's critical that you know what you're doing that you have a clear view and a clear plan it's consistent with the Word of God, and you understand my job here is to teach you what God says and to enforce what God says, because He loves you and I love you. And so godly discipline begins with you being governed by God and His Word. He gives you the, he gives you the orders, and your job is to implement His orders. He also gives you the means to accomplish those orders, and He will also hold you accountable for carrying out those orders. The Christian household is a little city which has a government. And you are to be governed by God, and then you are to govern your children, and ultimately you will turn over that government to your adult children, where they will in turn govern themselves under God and eventually govern new households to his glory. That's the plan. Fill the earth with godly seed and do it over and over and over. Law and order are necessary for for the peaceable rule of any city. And since the Bible gives us doctrine or teaching, doctrine, remember, just means teaching, on the subject of sexual purity in particular, it is your responsibility to communicate that teaching to your family. You may not avoid talking about these things. And we must draw the lines exactly where God draws them, as best we can. When we start setting the standards and drawing the lines in places where God hasn't, then we create a false purity and a false notion about sexuality. We might begin to give the idea that sex in itself is dirty or something to be ashamed of when God called it good. God says the marriage bed is undefiled. But when sexuality is where God says it it should be, then it is lovely, beautiful, and glorious. When we don't talk about it, or when we talk about it in sort of shaded terms with our heads hung, or we never mention it or have a discussion about it in our homes, then we create a mystery around it where curiosity takes over. So instead of having a right view of it and a strong view of it, or a biblical view of what God says, says about our sexuality, we're left to have the world define it for us and or for our children. And they will. They'll be happy to do that for you. They work pretty constantly at that. Because we're sexual beings, we're going to be curious. We want to know. We want to find out. And so it always gets down to what's going to be the source of that information. So doctrine... Diligence, doctrine, and now discipline. Enforcement. After you have diligently taught God's standards, both positive and negative, here's what God says we should do and how we should look at things, and here's what he says not to do, it is now your responsibility to enforce those standards. So I don't have time to get into all the weeds here on all the things you need to be doing at your house to, do, to accomplish these goals, and so I want to summarize it with what Jesus said in Matthew 5. And specifically, he's addressing uh, some of these issues of sexuality. You have heard, it, you have heard that it was said of, uh, to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So what are you to do when it comes to guarding the sexual purity of your children? Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Oh, so, I can think of some pretty radical things. Well, I, thought, I, I think plucking your eye out and cutting your hand off is pretty radical. I think that was the point Jesus was making. You might have to take some very strong steps in order to accomplish this. But what you may not do is say, oh, well, I, I just couldn't bring myself to do that or to tell them no or, or to put a stop to that. It would have been Trouble. It would have been a problem. They would have been unhappy. They're going to be a lot more unhappy if by not doing that, it costs them. So what are some of the areas where if you're fulfilling your parental responsibilities, you will have to take charge and enforce God's standards? And I'm not going to take the time this morning to develop all of these. Maybe we can have this discussion at another time. What they wear. Okay. You need to look at your kids and say, is what they're wearing appropriate? It should be lovely and godly and feminine if they're feminine and masculine if they're masculine. And it should be all of that. I'm not advocating anything frumpy or ugly or dowdy. But what it ought not be is emphasizing sexy. That's not what needs to be going on, and dads especially, you're responsible for that. You see it everywhere. Everywhere we go, you ought to look around, you see people dressed in ways that somebody should have said to them, you're not leaving the house looking like that. And it doesn't have to be said quite as abruptly as that. You can say, honey, I love you so much, but I really need you to go change that shirt. But, Dad, I know everybody else is wearing it, but I just need you to go change that, okay? Love you. See, I'm not saying be harsh, but I am saying be resolute, okay? And don't be moved by the tears if you've decided that this is something that needs to be done. So we could say a lot more about dress. That's your responsibility. Second, music. It's hard to keep up with the music. We got some really raunchy music out there promoting sexual immorality constantly. You need to know what your kids are listening to. And so you have that responsibility. You can't say, Well, I, I can't. I can't keep up with it. Yes, you can. You must. And you know, whatever kind of rule you gotta have at your house to make sure whatever they're listening to comes through you first, then that's your job. Movies. I fear that sometimes we're letting letting ourselves and kids watch way too much stuff. And again, I'm not. I don't have the time to develop all this. I've taught a series on movie watching. I realize that there, you know, when we're portraying a sinful world, there's sin in the movies. That's how stories are made. I'm not going to get into all of that right now, but it takes discernment. And some people think because there's a debate over this or that detail in a movie, whether you should or shouldn't, and you're trying to make judgment calls, that because it involves judgment, then let's just throw it all out the window. And some people have all the discernment of a vacuum cleaner. It Just whatever. Oh, I can handle it. I can handle it. I can handle it. A lot of people aren't handling it. And their friends. You are responsible for your kids' friends. Your friends may be one of the most important influences on your kids. You should know them. They should be in your house. You should know something about them. They should be your friends. Parents, your kids' friends should be your friends intimately. That's what it takes because this is an outside influence. Electronics and internet. We could have whole lesson on this, let me just say you're in charge of that. Do whatever it takes, up to and including getting rid of them. Ooh, that's radical. Yeah, well, pluck your eye out. That's pretty radical. Okay? So if you can't handle it and you can't manage it and you can't control it, you can't make sure that that's not a portal for temptation to your children, then you have to do whatever it takes to stop it. And again, we can have a, another time to discuss some specific strategies about how to do that. There are things to be done, if you will. I believe that may be one of the single biggest threat. And it spills over but to how they want to dress and music they want and the movies they watch and the friends they have because the Internet has become this megaphone, uh, this amplifier, this magnifying glass uh, for culture, and the culture is not good. And so it just permeates everything. And so you're responsible for, uh, I'm going to use a word, it's almost like we're afraid to use this word anymore. The culture has so browbeat us on this issue of sexuality that we think we have to be ashamed of things we should not, should not only not be ashamed of, we should hold our head up and say it loudly. We should be in favor of the virginity of our kids until they're married. That's a good thing. That's a virtue. And I'm not embarrassed about that. And it's a hard thing to maintain. Now, I'm sensitive to the fact that I'm speaking to all kinds of circumstances Adults, kids, perhaps you've already failed in some of these things. I personally am so grateful for grace and forgiveness, and I trust that you are grateful as well. Redemption is a beautiful thing. Nevertheless, it is a better thing if we have been diligent in the first place. There is forgiveness and redemption, but often there are also consequences to our sins. Sin always does what God says it will do. It will do damage, and sometimes it kills. And this is why we need to start taking sin. That's, this is why we need to start taking sin far more seriously than we do. So fathers, you're responsible for this mission. And mothers come under this godly mission. that's submission. And the mission is what? Godly? Sexually pure children with a healthy love for sexuality in its proper context go do whatever it takes to accomplish this mission, no excuses. Self-government. Every individual here, every adult, every young person, every child is responsible before God for the right use of their sexuality. Every one of us is responsible. Jeremiah warns, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Your choices have consequences. Self-government. I want to emphasize what I'm talking about at this point. I've been talking about families and parents. Now I'm talking about every individual. Men, women, boys, and girls. You have an obligation Self-government under God is the goal. Now, when I speak of self-government, I am not speaking of autonomous government. Autonomy means to be a law to yourself. I get to make all the rules. Self-government is to bring ourselves under God's law. Godly self-government is never achieved alone. It always requires community, family and church. And this is why we need godly families that will provide government for us until we can govern ourselves. The immature have no self-control. The goal is maturity, Christlikeness, likeness which defies, denies, it, denies the self for the sake of others. Sexual self-government isn't easy, but it's essential for living a blessed life. Sexual self-control is essential for a healthy marriage, just as it is for faithful celibacy. Your honor, uh, you honor your future spouse with your body by the way you control it now. You also prepare yourself for the discipline of faithfulness and sexual self-control that will empower and protect your marriage. And you also honor your own body and honor Christ in submitting your sexuality to Him. Ceasing to be an autonomous force and end, your sexuality must become a servant of Christ for His glory and for your good. I'd like you to invite you for a moment to peer into the future, to think beyond the moment. The choices you make today will determine who you are tomorrow and down the road. The temptation is for instant gratification. I want it, I want it now. That's a a powerful temptation. But wisdom requires seeing a gratification that's even greater. So who do you want to be when you grow up? Where do you want to be? What kind of family do you want? What kind of life do you want? What do you want for your children? Is your chief end really, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, then that will necessarily include your sexuality. How you dress, how you talk, what you look at, where you go, who your friends are, what you do. And so this calls for personal responsibility and accountability. Job 31 1 through 4. This is self-government here. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? For what is the allotment of God from above and the inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is it not destruction for the wicked and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does he not see my ways and count all my steps? So Job recognized, I've got to make a decision here. I've got to make a commitment. I'm not going to use these eyes for something God said I shouldn't use them for. I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes. I'm making a personal commitment to this. Young men, young ladies, you are personally responsible for your purity before God. And you must make a commitment to God that your sexuality is going to be devoted to his glory. It is not yours to do with as you please. First Corinthians 6:18 through20: Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Fleeing or running from anything that might lead you into temptation. We pray every Sunday the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Are those just words? Are you actually entreating God to protect you from temptation, which means you don't then run out the door and go flirt with it. You flee from it when you see it. Go the other way. Second Timothy 2.22 Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. says a lot there about who your friends are, right? Who you're hanging out with. Self-government under God means that when your parents aren't there to tell you no, you tell yourself no. You are your brother's keeper. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. When your friends are engaged in sexual sins with their mouths, what they're talking about, uh, or with their bodies, you have an obligation to speak up. Friends, don't let friends sin. That includes the way they talk. Ephesians 5, 3 through 7. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, and by the way, lust is a form of covetousness. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolishness nor coarse jesting, dirty jokes, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't participate at all. External influences on the heart. We're gonna let I me mean, take a glance here. We're gonna let's see what I've got left. Let me just start here and we'll stop in three or four minutes. Immodesty in dress. When you dress in an immodest way or a provocative way, and even when you pretend like you don't know what dad's talking about when he mentions it, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, if you don't, then that's a different problem. But I suggest that most of the time you do. You know, you know that that outfit is going to turn heads and get, get you some attention. Immodesty... Is, it can be a form of seduction. It can be done with dress. It can be done with words. It can be done with attitudes. And men and women both have a responsibility here. Do not cause your brother to stumble. You know what you're up to, and Paul warns in 1 Corinthians 8, and because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Men desire and women desire to be desired. Now that can be reversed, but that tends to be the pattern. We should be attractive, and we should be attracted to the opposite sex. There's nothing uh, to be ashamed of in that. Boys should like girls and vice versa but there is a distinction between legitimate desire and attractiveness versus lust and seduction, and your job is to know the difference. That's your job. I like to say, when in doubt, when you look in the mirror and you look at that outfit, when in doubt, don't. But there's a so there's a distinction. Again, we, don't, we want to be modest, but not frumpy, attractive, but not seductive. And on the other hand, it is entirely possible, guys and girls, to lust when everyone else is doing exactly what they should be doing. Remember, that's in here. Pornography. Again, whole lessons can be taught here, but I want to do this rather quickly because I want you to remember it. I'm going to ask three questions. Who are you looking at? Real girls, real women, real boys and men. Someone's child, someone made in the image of God. And God says, you shall not covet and you shall not steal. They are not yours. These are human beings. And you have an obligation to love your neighbor. Second, what is that doing to you, to them, and to others? When you look at pornography, you are helping promote a wickedness that destroys lives. The pictures you see are a lie. The truth is very ugly. They don't show you the real human abuse and drugs and disease and death and how lives are destroyed. And when you participate in that, you're helping accomplish that. And what are you doing to yourself and to your marriage, if you are married or your future marriage? You are ruining real sex by distorting it. It is fornication. It is adultery. External influences on the mind. Well, we're going to stop there. Out of time. We will continue this and some other things for next week. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its warnings and promises. We thank you for hope. We thank you for help. We thank you for forgiveness and redemption. We thank you for loving us enough to tell us the truth about these things. Help us to examine ourselves and our practices. Help us to repent where we need to repent. Help us to reform, to grow, to mature, to be more diligent in the things you've called us to. We love you, and we desire to advance your kingdom in ourselves and in our children and in our future. Bless us now as we prepare for worship. In Jesus' name, amen.